Welcome to the Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sari Ibrahim. He is the CEO and president of financialprotection.com. He is also an MBA, and he is a bank-on-yourself professional. Welcome to the Money Answer Show, Sari. Hey, Jordan, thank you so much for having me on. Let's just get a little bit of your background and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, definitely. So I'm from Chicago, Illinois, born and raised here. And I started a company about eight years ago called Financial Asset Protection. So it's a full-service financial services firm, mostly specializing in uh, the bank on yourself concept. I can definitely talk about more, of, more about that concept. A lot of people know the concept as the infinite banking concept. Uh, but we've niched down and, and started to work with a lot of real estate investors and, and, and small business owners in all 50 states. Um, and then we also have a podcast called Thinking Like a Bank Podcast. And really the, the, the aim of the podcast is meant to show people how to think like a bank, how to apply the same strategies and principles to grow their real estate portfolio, to grow their small businesses, to save more money for retirement, and, and so on. Very good. Before we get into your thing like a bank strategy, let's just talk about the current banking situation, which is so dynamic here. We had uh, Silicon Valley Bank, we had uh, yeah. Signature Bank, we had Credit Suisse in the last two weeks go down, have to be saved by the FDIC. What, what is your prescription for what's happening in the banking system? And is it is it over or are there more failures like this to come? Well, yeah, I mean, one of the, 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 the reasons, right, is because of the interest rates, because interest rates are going up. It's creating this banking problem. Uh, typically, when interest rates go up, it's not really good for banks because it, it tightens up their lending. Their applications go down for mortgages, for other lending. Also, uh, they, have to, they have to make greater rates of return. They have to take on more risk because their savings accounts and CDs and money market interest rates go up as well, which is exactly what happened with, like, Silicon Valley Bank, they couldn't keep up with their uh, depositors and paying them interest and paying the shareholders. So uh, they would because primarily due to interest rates. So interest rates, we even are, are even seeing that they're going to keep going up to battle inflation and to uh, constrict the economy. So I think that it's the problem is probably going to continue happening. I don't, I don't want to say that all banks are going to see the same thing, but I think banking right now is a, it's a tough industry to be in because of the interest rate situation. The good news is there's a lot of different places for, for and I think, let me back up for a second, I think it's going to be problematic for the banks more so than the depositors because of the FDIC insurance and the government stepping in to, to save people's accounts. But I think that the um, for depositors, it's not really that big of a deal. Uh, the good news is there's other places to, if, you're, if, if that's one of your concerns, if you are worried about the banking system, there, there are different places that you could park your money like in real estate, real estate deals, privately held, closely held businesses, and, and other places. So it's not just like the um, banks are the only place, or the stock market is the only place, but there's uh, definitely alternatives out there. So your company is called Financial Asset Protection. People are feeling they want asset protection these days. Would you recommend that people move their money around if they have more than 250000 in a particular bank to make sure they stay under the insurance deposit limits, or is that not people's, something people should worry about? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think you should definitely worry about that. I think also diversifying out of cash and or out of out of different different uh, banks. Not only just keeping money in cash in banks, but also uh, like one of the concepts we use we use cash value life insurance for for saving purposes as an alter as an alternative to to bank accounts. So I I recommend looking into those types of uh, those types of uh, insurance vehicles where you could park cash into them and the cash is liquid. This way, essentially, instead of using a bank to store your money, you're using a life insurance company to store your money. So, yeah, that's definitely, you know, there, there is no FDIC, FDIC insurance on the life insurance side, but there are also, there's no life insurance companies going on right now because of the interest rate environment. And usually the, the, the life insurance companies we work with are have been in business for well over 160 years. So, very I think it's safe to say that life insurance companies are far more stable than banks in the first world, right? It's not like you can, you know, uh, you know, ten dollars in a life insurance company and then they can lend out a hundred dollars like they typically could with um, in fractional reserve banking. So that's something that 
I would highly recommend if you have over $250,000 in a bank account, you know, keep some in the bank account in liquid checking savings, and then also diversify into other areas outside of the banking industry. Do you think that the regulators will or should have universal uh, deposit insurance to keep runs from happening? I mean, last week, Treasury Secretary Yellen was asked about that, and she said the Treasury doesn't really have the authority to do that. That's something Congress should do. But to prevent runs, they're talking about maybe mm -hmm. doing universal way above uh, the 250000 Do you think that's a good idea, and might that happen? Well, I, they, I think it's like they have no other choice because if – if the banking system goes down, the whole economy collapses, right? Because everything is based off of, uh, in, in many different ways, because banks, number one, they store cash. That's one thing they do. Number two, they, they give loans. Um, number three, they invest into uh, all types of investments. So, and, and then uh, number four, they, it's also transferring, too, of, of money, right? Because how else, how else could we digitally and electronically, you know, wire transfer money in, in many different ways and credit cards and debit cards and bank accounts and paying employees and all sorts of transfers. So just those couple of those, those uh, features of a bank are the, the foundation of the economy. So if something happens to the to, to banks, essentially there is no economy without banks. So I think that in either scenario, like the government is going to have to keep, they have to keep banks in business no matter what. They have to keep the uh, depositors' money, uh, even I think even if it goes above the FDIC insurance, just so that way they prevent people from going crazy and you know, and then everybody removes their money from the from banks, and then that'll that'll definitely collapse. Uh, uh, it'd be really bad if that happens. If if everyone goes to the bank and just takes out all the money, that'll that be very bad for the economy. I don't see that happening right now, especially all, all the things. Uh, after all the regulations that have happened after like 2000 and 2008 and 2020, I think that's going to definitely probably not going to happen. But for sure, they have to think about it. They have to think about what if the banking system collapses. Yes. Very good. All right. Well, let's get right into the strategy that you recommend, which is called Bank on Yourself. So what is the problem that is being solved by the Bank on Yourself strategy? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it will help if I explain a little bit more on what Bank on Yourself is. So it's a concept that was invented by Pamela Yellen, um, and it's a strategy that uses high cash value whole life insurance, mainly for cash, mainly for saving purposes. So that way you could save for retirement, you can invest in different places, you could actually be your own bank. Now, a lot of people also know the strategy of infinite banking. It's, 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 it's relatively similar to Bank on Yourself, the only differences are just the trademark and, and the branding behind the concept. But um, a, lot of, a, lot of, a lot of people, especially in the real estate community, know it as instant banking. And essentially, it's a way for you to become your own source of financing. And, and it's, may, it's meant to kind of tackle some of the problems with uh, Wall Street and the, the banking industry, since we are talking about banking in this case. So one problem, right, is when you are constantly seeking bank financing, you're constantly have to get you're, you're constantly having to need to uh, get approved for loans. You have to go through underwriting constantly. It's always up to the bank to either accept or deny the loans. You also have to qualify like, based off of your income. So the the, the bank on yourself concept talks about some of the issues with that, like market conditions affecting people's ability to borrow, and then also your financial situation may be affected. Uh, when it comes time to borrow, so bank on yourself helps you become your own source of financing, so that way you, you don't you never have to qualify for a loan again. You're you are your own banker essentially, and um, you never have to worry about market conditions either. And then it goes to another problem to bank on yourself, or, or not with bank on yourself, but what bank on yourself is addressing, and that is uh, market risks, right? So like, into, if you look at 2008, about you know, uh, average person lost about 40 to 50 percent of their you know, 401ks, IRAs, you know, their stock-based accounts, equity-based accounts. So that, that was very de detrimental to people's retirement planning and to people's financial health. So this concept is not hindered or affected by market conditions. So Bank on Yourself can outpace markets. It could outpace market crashes. You can grow your wealth in a Bank on Yourself type whole life policy without having to take on unnecessary risk. So just high level, it talks about those two things. It talks about the ability to constantly be able to borrow on your own terms, pay back the loans on your own terms, and then growing your, your wealth regardless of market conditions. Are there some tax advantages since 
money accumulates inside a insurance policy tax-free, what are some of the tax advantages of using the bank country self strategy? Yeah, you're right, Jordan. Yes, yeah, so the money does grow, grows tax-free. Uh, in most situations, we take the money out as either a loan or a withdrawal. It's also tax-free. We, that's 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 the strategy we tend to take. We tend to take that strategy where we're structuring the policy so that way the loans and withdrawals that come out out of it are tax-free as well. Sometimes they, they're not tax-free. Sometimes the gains of a life insurance policy are taxable if it's not properly set up. But we do t- we we do tend to set it up properly the way the growth is tax-free into the policy. The loans withdrawals are tax-free, and uh, it typically with life insurance policies. The tax laws around them are pretty stagnant. Like they they don't change every year. For example, like IRAs, you know, four hundred one ks, a lot of types of pension plans. They tend to change a lot. Like every other year, they're constantly changing limits. They're changing what you can do with the money. They're changing um, many different aspects of it. They are, are are constantly being changed. Like even uh, last year, I think it was a year or two years ago, they wanted to put a depreciation on. So, like these things kind of happen along with a lot of uh, financial vehicles and tax vehicles, tax strategies. But the whole life insurance, they're really, really stagnant. I think the last tax change was like back in 1988. So, so that means it's fair. To, it's safe to say that if you got a life insurance policy, you use after-tax dollars to fund it. It grows tax-free. The loans are tax-free. The withdrawals are tax-free. You could bet with a high degree of certainty that's always going to be like that. It's not like they're going to change the laws and say, well. You know, as a result of this new act and this new law, now life insurance costs are going to be taxable. I don't see that happening. Uh, and even if they did make those changes, it into the policies because you use after-tax dollars to pay for the premiums going into the policy. So it's not, it's not really a way to, like, you obviously can't get rid of the tax liability completely. You're just using after-tax dollars to fund a whole life policy the same way how you would with the Roth IRA, the difference is a Roth IRA has a lot of restrictions. There are annual contribution limits. Whole life insurance policies technically have no contribution limits at all. Like you could, if you could qualify for life insurance and you can qualify for a certain amount based off of your income and your net worth and your assets, there really is no limit to, to the amount of life insurance you can have. And then that translates into essentially a limited tax for wealth. Yes, very good. All right, we're going to take a break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Sari Ibrahim. He is the uh, CEO and president of FinAssetProtection.com. Uh, you can also find out more about his concept at a website, ThinkingLikeABank.com. We'll be back after this. Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the Internet. It's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's mypassiveincome.life. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sari Ibrahim. He is the CEO and president of FinAssetProtection.com. He is also a bank-on-yourself professional. You can look up more about him at his website, thinkinglikeabank.com. Welcome back to the show, Sari. Hey, Jordan. Thank you for having me on. So can any uh, life insurance company or policy use the bank-on-yourself strategy? There are only some policies that are appropriate to do the strategy. Yeah, definitely. It's a, it's a really good question. And I think, you know, so to kind of keep it, uh, explain it in, in a simple way, there's about, there are about 2,000 life insurance companies in the United States. And of those 2,000 life insurance companies, I would say only about three of them could actually do everything we're talking about here with bank on yourself. And this is kind of where, where it goes into where you hear a lot of like negative things about bank, on, about, uh, about whole life insurance. You might hear things like there aren't, you know, the rates of return are very minimal that um, when you borrow money, the policy stops growing, that the rates are ridiculously expensive. And then the thing is, is that because there's, there are so many different kinds of companies and so many different kinds of life insurance products out there, that could be definitely true. So um, because Bank on Yourself uses uh, whole life insurance, doesn't necessarily mean that you can go out and find any whole life insurance policy from any company and then just try to mimic what, the, what, what, what Bank on Yourself does. It has to be from the right company and designed in the right way. Uh, that's really important. Again, like each company has many different ways, many different products, many different ways of structuring those products. So you want to really work with an advisor who has specialty, who has focus in bank on yourself, who's a bank on yourself professional, who went through their um, licensing, the certification, the continuing education. All of those things are going to be really important for the client because because even when you fund a life policy, it's not like that's the, that's the last step that you do. You just fund it. There's also other things like when you go and borrow money, when you withdraw money, when you're using it for retirement, when you're adding money back into it, there's, there's, there are more factors that come into play. So you have to make sure the policy is properly structured and it's used for that self-banking future where you're going to be your own bank, you're going to be your own banker and you are going to use it for retirement. You're going to use it for your small business or for your real estate portfolio. That, those are kind of some of the things you want to look for and, and, and use uh, in, a, in, a, in a bank on yourself policy. So what are some of the unique things about those three companies that differentiate them from the 2,000 companies that they offer that other insurance companies do not offer that allows you to do the bank on yourself strategy? Yeah, so number one, you want to, so you want to make sure it's a mutually owned insurance company, not, not a stock-owned insurance company. So mutually owned insurance companies, uh, if it's a participating mutually owned insurance company, they give their dividends back to the policy owners. So the policy owners, the customers are essentially like part owners of the of the insurance company. So that's, that's you want to make sure it's a mutually owned insurance company that gives dividends, uh, not a stock owned company. And then number two, you want to make sure it's a whole it's a, it's a whole life policy, not an index universal life or variable universal life, um, or, or any kind of anything other than whole life insurance. You want to make sure it's whole life because. The other policies, like for example, variable universal life, is in the, is is, uh, is based off of market performance. Like you could actually lose money and lose life in your life insurance in due to market conditions. You could also make more in a variable universal life, but it kind of defeats the purpose of that self banking feature. You really can't do the self banking features in a variable universal life, and then also index universal life. Although you can't lose money because of market performance in the index universal life, you can still lose money in the index universal life based off of the fees of the policy and how it's growing. Um, index universal life policies have something called annual renewable term. Um, and then that means that every single year as you're aging, the policy is renewing and it's, and it's getting more and more expensive. And then as the price of the policy increases, um, you, the, the insurance company may need to use your cash value to pay the premiums because the premiums are, 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 are increasing. So, Index universal life won't also be won't really be good for this. So you want to make sure it's a whole life policy. And then there's also something called non-direct recognition. Non-direct recognition is where when when you borrow against the policy, whether you take out a loan or not, the policy keeps going either way. So you, that's something you want to make sure because if you have like let's just say to use even numbers, you have a hundred thousand dollars in a whole life policy, and then you take out a loan against it. And if you take out a loan against the policy, and then the policy stops growing, then it defeats 
the purpose of you becoming your own banker now because it's just it's, it's an additional expense to use money. But if you borrow against the policy and it keeps growing, even with that outstanding loan, uh, in other words, the, the life insurance company is not recognizing that you have this outstanding loan, then uh, you can actually make money on the money that you have deployed. So like you borrow against the policy, use that borrowed money to invest in uh, real estate or to invest in your small business or somewhere else. Now you're, you, you can get the returns on, on the invested dollars as well as the money that's still in your policy. So you want to make sure it's non-direct recognition. And not every company has its feature where they're non-direct recognition. Some companies will penalize you when you take out loans to prevent you from, from doing so because they, they're, they're not built for, for loans. And then the last option is you need something in the policy called the paid-up additions rider. And the way the paid-up additions rider works is it's a cash value rider. It helps you grow the cash much faster in the policy. So that way you have instant liquidity from month one. You have liquidity. You're not waiting 20 years just to be able to touch the, the policy. You have instant liquidity, and that's typically through the paid-up additions rider as well as the growth of the policy. You want it to grow rapidly uh, much faster than other types of life insurance policies. So just to recap, mutually owned company, that's whole life, non-direct recognition, and paid-up additions rider. Very good. Um, so roughly today, what kind of returns are these whole life insurance companies paying and what kind of interest rates are they charging on the loans? Because it seems to me if you're earning less than you're paying on the loan, unless you put the money in someplace that's growing faster, this I don't see how it works for you. Yeah, good question. So, so the way it's growing as of, um, as of today, you, there's a couple different ways. So the policy grows through guaranteed interest. The guaranteed interest in your policy is 3%. That's the guaranteed interest rate for the, for the life of the policy. Plus, you also get dividends. As mentioned, these, companies, these, these policies come from mutually owned um, dividend-paying life insurance companies. So you're getting dividends also in, on top of the interest. And with the interest and dividends together compounding, it should, it should equal around – it's going to vary because as the policy earns more cash value and more interest and more dividends, the returns are going to inflate over time. But you can you can average it out or expect it to be around, I would say, close to 4% compound. And then when you borrow the money, when you're borrowing, you're borrowing at a simple interest rate. As of today, it's about a little bit over 5% simple interest, compound in arrears. So that means that when you do the math and you actually borrow from the life insurance company and then you compare it to how much you actually paid, the annual percentage rate uh, would be closer. Like, for example, if you borrowed... Um, you borrow like $10,000, you paid it back like two years later, the, at 5% simple interest, it's, it's not really 5% interest. It's, it's more likely going to be about 1.5, 1.6% annual percentage rate based off of the actual cost of that loan. Um, so that you, can, you, you can definitely see an arbitrage between the amount of money you're paying to use the money and then the amount of money you're earning to use the money. So it gives you the ability, and then you can imagine using this with investments because if you if you took that money, for example, and you made twenty percent on that, plus you were also able to earn like a two percent spread, your your internal rate of return went from twenty percent to twenty two percent, and that additional two percent was tax free. So it could really help you inflate your returns. It could also help mitigate risk because if you, for example, were expecting you know like let's just say ten percent on an investment, but you actually earned. 8% because of that spread that you were earning on that money, it could help you uh, earn, earn more than expected or even get into the positive, even if it was a negative uh, return on that investment. So the key to the strategy is to take the money you're borrowing at roughly 5%, something like that, and invest it in something that's going to get a higher rate of return, and that's the arbitrage. If you take the money and spend it on a vacation or blow it somehow, then you still have the loan and you don't have the money to do it. Is that correct? You have to use the money, the proceeds of the loan, carefully to get a higher rate of return. Is that correct? That, that is true. Yeah, you have to you have to um, use the money to get a higher rate of return. But let's just say you don't. Let's just say in, in the example you just mentioned, a vacation. Let's just say you took the money, spent it on a vacation. I still think that's okay, too, because think of the alternatives. Like if you just use, che if you use cash from a checking account, then that cash is gone. Let's just say you spent $10,000 on a vacation. That $10,000 is gone, right? Let's just say you use a credit card. 
Well, that interest all goes to the credit card company. Uh, then, but then in this, in the third scenario, you use the whole life policy. You spend ten thousand, you borrow against your policy. You use ten thousand dollars for the vacation, and then let's just say you pay back five hundred dollars a month towards the policy until the policy is paid off, the loan is paid off. Well, that's that's the best scenario to be in because all that money gets recouped back into your policy, and then now you can recycle that money again and again into other places. So I get what you're saying. In order for it to, in order for you to see that growth, you have to be able to take money out. And then invest it into different places where you can get a higher rate of return. But even if you don't do that, it's still better than using credit cards and using other types of financing because you're essentially you're 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 your own bank. You're paying the interest back to your pocket rather than going to other financial institutions. Yes, yes, so that makes sense. But I mean, the, the smartest way is to invest in something that's going to give you a higher rate of return. That's the smart way to use it, right? Yeah, exactly. You're right. The best way and the smartest way would be to use it for other investments in which those other investments are going to provide you a higher rate of return than what you're paying to borrow that money. Exactly. Okay. Um, You're saying this is something you need an advisor to do. This is not something the average person can do on their own. Why is it that you need an advisor to, to do? It sounds relatively simple. You borrow from the cash value, you invest it in something, um, you, you know, you're in, as long as you're in the right company, why, why do you need an advisor to, to do this in the correct way? Yeah, because a lot of things can go wrong. So, like, number one, for example, um, the amount of money you put in, like, this might be confusion to, to a lot of people. There's really no set amount of money that you could put into it, but you want to figure out, you want it to, to budget it out, you want to go through a financial analysis meeting the same way how if you were going to come up with a portfolio strategy or you're going to invest in real estate or whatever the case might be, you need a professional to help you kind of figure out, especially if that's not your expertise, to figure out how much money you're going to put in, how often you're going to put in, and then also like how, what you're going to use a policy for. You, you need a, like a coach to help you figure out what for, how often you're going to take out loans, how you're going to pay those loans back. So also think of like risk strategies to look, what if you can't pay the loan back? What if that investment and then also, like, investment advice on the actual investment outside of the policy. And then when you go through these life insurance um, policies, a lot of times, you know, it's not like, these aren't like small policies that you would get online, like a $200,000 term policy. A lot of these policies can get to, like, you know, greater than $10 million in life insurance. And at that level, um, you need to, there's a lot of, like, back and forth with the insurance company. They're going to see, like, tax returns sometimes. They might need to see bank statements. They might need to see, like, um, you, there's a lot of health that goes into it, like health records. So you need, you need the advice to know what the, what the life insurance company is doing. A lot of, a lot of these advisors are also underwriters themselves. They're, um, you know, chartered life underwriters. So they have these credentials and designations that they know what the insurance company is doing, which is going to help the client get the, these, these life insurance. Because there's a chance you might not get approved for these large life insurance policies. So you need an advisor to walk you through that. And then there's also estate planning that goes into it because the life insurance itself, the, the cash value and the loans and withdrawals could definitely be uh, income tax-free. The death benefit could be income tax-free. It, it usually is income tax-free, but then there could be estate exposure to your estate. So then having a professional help you with that. Um, and then I'm trying to think of anything. I mean, there's could, there could be some taxes that goes in if your advisor is also a tax professional, understanding the tax parts of it too. So yeah, you, as you could tell, just based off the, these couple of things that I'm mentioning, a lot you need a person. And then on top of all of that, like if you went directly to one of these insurance companies and said, "Hey, I want a, a whole life policy, you know, structure with cash value," they really they're not going to have a customer service department for that because of the complexity. It's not it's not like you're calling a, a call center and getting a term life insurance policy that they could do simply, you know, um, just like asking you like four or five questions and issuing a policy with whole life insurance company with whole life policies. The insurance company is not going to have a customer service you know, department that can just sell a whole life policy over the phone. They're going to want a professional, somebody typically, you know, a certified financial planner, um, a, a chartered life underwriter, somebody with um, a lot of experience in this, in, this, in this field who knows how to um, utilize these insurance vehicles and help clients, help clients reach their goals and uncover certain things. So they're not even going to have a customer service department. They're going to, if you did call the life insurance company directly and, and ask for a whole life policy, they'll probably direct you to another agent advisor who can help you or they'll tell you you need to find your own advisor. So it's really not a, a, a direct to consumer approach and it shouldn't be either because it's a very complex approach. 
Yes, very good. Okay, terrific. We're going to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Sari Ibrahim. Uh, he is the CEO and president of FinAssetProtection.com. He's a bank-on-yourself professional. You can find out more at his website, thinkinglikeabank.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sari Ibrahim. He is the CEO and president of FinAssetProtection.com. He's a bank-on-yourself professional, and you can find out more at his website, thinkinglikeabank.com. Welcome back to the show, Sari. Hey, Jordan. Thank you. So there are two ways of investing. There's active and passive. Passive is kind of index funds. You just put it in there. You don't really do too much trading. Active is you're trying to pick stocks and get the hottest things at the moment. What are the advantages of passive versus active investing, and particularly as it relates to this bank-on-yourself strategy? Yeah, good question. And I would even go a step further. So so you're right. So typically in the context of like financial um, advisory, if you say like active investing, it means like, like how you just said, um, picking stocks, like usually like, like a mutually fund is an actively invested portfolio. Um, there's, a, there's a portfolio manager every day, like picking stocks and selling and things like that. So that's, that's active. And then passive, as you also mentioned, it's like an index fund. You just put the, you just put it in the, in, in the index fund and then it, the funds grow, they follow an index and so on. That's, in the context of financial advisory, the differences between active and passive, but then also in the context, I guess, of like um, um, in general, active investing versus passive investing could also mean active. Like a lot of small business owners are active investors, right? Because they had to invest in their business and then now they're actively engaged in their business. So they're responsible for the business. They, they, they personally sign on leases on real estate they're responsible for essentially the, the whole day, day most small business owners are in that situation I and mean, there's passive investing where you can invest into businesses or real estate or without doing any work at all so that's kind of what i want to talk about this the differences between active and passive investing in this context in this way um and it's really important a lot of a lot of business owners don't even think about it from that standpoint anytime a business owner thinks about investing in a business they're thinking about usually from what I've seen work with a lot of clients, about them being actively engaged in the business where they're responsible, they're signing personally on, 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 on things, they're, you know, they're taking on more risk um, and, and, and more time as well, more energy. Um, I, I really urge a lot of people to look into passive investing because you can essentially make more money without having to work more hours, without having to sign on more debt or more liabilities. 
Um, and you, without having to, and more importantly, your energy, right? Like mental energy and your, your physical energy is not being exhausted in businesses. So this is kind of one of the roots of our podcast, Thinking Like a Bank, is how do, how do we make more money by working less? Like how do we think like a bank? And, and, and that's kind of like the, the genius part of a bank and how it operates is that it could actually increase profits, increase revenue without necessarily taking on more risk because the risk is shifted on to the, to the borrowers, right, and to other people who are leveraging, the customers who are leveraging big, uh, the, the risk is shifting onto them in the sense of they have, to, they have to pay the money back, they have to pay the, um, you know, if the, if the bank is an investor in that situation, situation, they have to meet the, um, the, the bank's need as an investor. So what if we as small as individuals, as small business owners, can also take that, that, that same position where, where we invest in companies as passive investors, we loan out money to small businesses and real estate investors, we get back rate, we get back a return on that investment based off of what was agreed upon, whether it was a loan to a business or a real estate investor or if it was an equity position in that. The point is that we can increase our, our income, our inflow of money um, without having to constantly take on more risk and having to constantly work more hours. Because I'm a big believer in you want to make more money with working while working less. And it, and it sounds really kind of like a cliche or cheesy, you know, but at the same time, I think that's truly the way to success is to increase your net worth, increase your inflow, your cash flow while working less and taking on less risk. And then it brings me to my, to my next point is let's just say, for example, you built a, a, um, you built a successful small business. You're a successful active investor. You have your own property that you're actively managing you have a surplus now every month between the amount of money you're making and the amount of money you're spending. You have a surplus now of, of these funds. And you also have an increase in your net worth. So your net worth is increasing your cash every month or every year is increasing. Now what do you do? Well, let's keep that increasing without while working less by passively investing into, into, different, um, into different companies, different real estate funds and real estate deals. But then now it brings you to the next question is, do we just use the cash in our bank accounts? No, we can use bank on yourself for that. We could we could leverage our bank on yourself type whole life policies to invest in small businesses in an equity position or to loan out as a private money lender in that situation to real estate investors or small business owners. Now you are the bank in essence. You are the one you you have a payback structure. The money that the your borrowers are paying back can go back into the policy, amplifying the returns, you know, growing tax free protecting your assets from all sorts of, of claims. So um, that's kind of the how high-level difference between active investing and passive investing in the context of business and, and, and management of money, and then how you can use bank on yourself in a tax-favored way, in a, in, a, in a more efficient way where you are the bank in that situation. So in your, you have a podcast as well, uh, Financial Protection, mm -hmm. and you uh, talk about various passive income alternatives there. One of them you did recently is self-storage. So talk about that as a something that you think is a good idea uh, for passive income. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So it was a very recent episode. I guess it just went live very soon, and I interviewed uh, Scott Mayers, who is a self-storage in, uh, investing expert. And to kind of take a step back from that is that in, um, as mentioned, like you can find different places to passively invest, whether it's a it's a, a an operation, a business, or real estate. I tend to like real estate more than investing directly into an operation of a business because there's definitely there's more risk in, in, in that sense. The returns can be greater, but there's more risk involved when you invest directly into businesses. So I recommend you invest in real estate. Now, when you do invest in real estate, there's, there are different asset classes, right? Like one of them is multifamily. Another one is like industrial. Another could be mobile parks, which are becoming more and more popular. Other than there's like, you know, so there's more, but then just keep it high level. There's self storage as well, which is exactly what you can imagine. Like when you're, you know, driving and you see a self storage facility, that's probably a syndication or a fund that pooled capital together and and bought that self storage. And there's, as you can imagine, a lot of people are going to their self storage facilities every day. They probably go there once a year, but they're still paying every month for it. So it's a good, it's a good um, investment vehicle. It's it's a good thing because imagine if you had you know, one unit with um, just use even numbers, a thousand one property with with a thousand units, and each person was paying, let's just say, a hundred dollars a month. That's a hundred times a thousand. That's a hundred thousand dollars a month in passive income. 
and let's just say it was completely self-operated. There was no, there were no people working there. It was just you just go there, you drive, and you use a code to log uh, to, to sign in, and you get in. Constantly paying their bill because they have to. Because if they don't, they can lose their stuff. You know, so they're paying them every single month. So that so in the in the in the general nature of business, that's a good business idea because it's consistent cash flow every single month. It doesn't fluctuate. You know, whether customers want to come see you or not, it's it's typically a locked lease throughout the time period. So, uh, and then you could do self-storage in the sense where you're the active investor, right? You're the one who's finding the properties. You're paying a larger share of the properties. You're finding the investors. Or if you, if you, don't, if you don't need investors, you have enough money, you can actively do all these things. You're going to a bank. That's only, so it's, very, it's very bankable, right? Because the bank is going to look at it and see all these customers that you have and paying you and then you can leverage that from a banking standpoint. So it's a bankable business to begin with, and especially if it sits on real estate. So, and then another way you could do that is passive investing, which is what we talked about on, on our podcast is that you bring, you know, the Scott and you know, his team would bring in a pool of investors, uh, and then these investors would pool their capital together. We're going to go to break now. This is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Sari Ibrahim. He's the CEO and president of FinAssetProtection.com. You can find out more about his strategy, Bank on Yourself, at his website, thinkinglikeabank.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a homeowner tired of making monthly mortgage payments with little progress towards paying down your principal? Does paying off your home in five to seven years without making larger or more frequent payments sound appealing? Paying off your home in full in five to seven years is really possible thanks to Truth in Equity's Mortgage Equity Optimization System, a money management approach that puts your money to work for you 24-7. If you own a home with some equity, have a decent credit score and verifiable income, you owe it to yourself to learn more about Truth in Equity's program. There's no need to replace your mortgage or refinance in many cases. The system works for new home purchases as well as current mortgages. Your home is your largest investment. Own it outright in five to seven years. Call Truth and Equity, 888-262-5540 or visit truthandequity.com, 888-262-5540. Jordan Goodman is an affiliate. He recognizes quality solutions, forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Sari Ibrahim. He is a CEO and president of FinAssetProtection.com. He's a bank-on-yourself professional. You can find out more at his website, thinkinglikeabank.com. Welcome back to the show, Sari. Hey, Jordan. Thank you for having me on. So we were talking about self-storage as a kind of passive income vehicle. What are some other passive income vehicles that are relatively conservative that you would recommend to use the money you're borrowing from your policy to produce a higher rate of income than you're borrowing against? Yeah, definitely. So I definitely recommend other types of real estate uh, asset classes. Like we talked about self-storage. Um, a little while ago, and then there's also multifamily housing, right? This is like um, apartment buildings, essentially, where people live in them. And this is also really good, too, because as interest rates have gone up, the amount of people who are able to buy has gone down, of course, because they, they have to essentially make more money and, and qualify for more financing now because interest rates went up. Uh, so that, that kind of pushes people to uh, – the, the rental market has gone up, actually, in the last couple of years. It's, it's still up, and there's actually a big shortage of housing. So multifamily housing is a good asset class to invest in. There's a lot of, there's a lot of demand, a lot of need for, for housing. Um, and it's probably, I would say, it, it's, it's seen as one of the more conservative routes. That and self-storage are seen as very, very conservative. Some may, some may even call it recession-resistant or recession-proof. Uh, because in, in, any, in any scenario, you need people to live in places, you need people to store their stuff. But if we took a look outside of, if we took a look outside of real estate, like conservative but still outside of real estate, there's still a lot of different places that you could um, invest passively using your life insurance policy to get higher rates of return. Um, like one of them, there are um, there's some. So after the Jobs Act in 2017, there's something called um, a Reg A offering, like Regulation A offering, and what it is is that it's uh, essentially a way for small businesses to raise capital from investors 
prior to that, you really had to be um, like a publicly traded corporation in order for you to raise capital and sell shares of your company publicly. Um, but now after, after 2017, um, at the Jobs Act, they wanted to make it easier for small businesses to raise money as well as for, for anybody to be able to invest in companies outside of Wall Street. So that, that's huge. That, that's a really big deal now because you can buy shares of a privately held business um, the company that, that you're working with can raise money, and it's kind of like a win-win for everybody. So I recommend look in, looking into Reg A offerings. You can go to Google and search like Reg A offerings, and you can find third-party companies. These are like third-party, I guess, like um, platforms. They're, they ca- they connect they connect people looking for capital with people who uh, who have capital who want to invest it. And some of these Reg A offerings have shares as low as like $100 a share or $150 a share. So it's, it's, it's not that. It's not that. You don't have to be rich to use these. Uh, uh-huh. uh, to use these. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah, no, that's a very good idea, the reggae offerings and the self-storage. Yeah. So you're, and then as far as real estate, you're saying to buy apartments or would you do like a syndication or a real estate investment trust? What would be the way to invest in real estate for a passive income? Yeah, exactly. So if you have the time and expertise, you have to go out and buy properties. But then it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Like, What if you're already a, a busy business owner or you're a busy professional, you're a doctor, engineer, a lawyer, you're already swamped as it is with your life and everything. Uh, you could passively invest. For sure, you could definitely passively invest into multifamily housing. And you could do so in a couple of ways. So one way you could do so is through a syndication. A syndication is where you're a partner in the in the in the property, you're a part owner. Like you, you get an LLC, you get a K1 distribution from the LLC. You're a part owner of that property. Uh, another, another way to a fund, and in a fund, it's where you invest in, you invest in multiple, like in three or four different, different properties to diversify your risk. And then you that thing. Uh, you're still a passive investor. investment trust, which is a syndication or a fund. I personally like to more. I see, I've done the math. And that the rates of return tend to be higher real estate investment trust because a real estate investment trust is only a publicly traded uh, entity. So uh, there's a little, bit, a little bit different in that sense, but um, syndications and funds are definitely allowed. You also have to make sure that like, if you're an accredited investor or non-accredited investor, that also plays a factor into it. If you're accredited, meaning that your net worth is what, greater than $1 million excluding your house, or you are married and filed jointly, and your gross um, revenue for the last year has been over three hundred thousand. Or if you're single, uh, your gross revenue for two years has been two hundred thousand. In other words, high employee or net worth greater than one million dollars could invest in essentially any. Uh, you have no limits to funds, real estate funds, or syndications, or back to the right A offerings. You can essentially invest anywhere. When you're not interested, um, like you don't know, those financial criteria then you're probably going to be restricted on syndications that you're, you're enjoying, as well as uh, funds, as well as the regular office. So it's more restricted because uh, you're not even an accredited investor. But if you're accredited, essentially you, you, the sky is the limit. You can invest anywhere you want. Yeah. So those are what's appropriate. What are some things that are not appropriate to invest in uh, when you take those loans from the insurance uh, policies? That's a, What's not appropriate to use? Was that the question? In other words, what you just talked about were conservative, income-oriented, passive investments like self-storage, like real estate, like the Reg A offerings. What would be an inappropriate place to put the money, the proceeds from your uh, borrowings against your life insurance policy? Oh, gotcha. Okay. Um, I mean, so there, there are any restrictions where you could use anything you want. I think that if you if you took the money out, or let's say you, you whole time building up your cash value and life insurance policy and then you borrow it against the policy and you you use it in a for example in a very highly um, risky investment i don't know um like forex trading or like options trading or future trading. i don't know anything about those those fields uh, but let's just say you did that I, I do know that they tend to be the highest risk one could take and you lost you know, let's say you lost all your money entirely. Like if it was like a $50,000 investment, you lost it all entirely. You still want to pay that loan back that you took out from the life insurance company because you don't want it all to go to waste because it took you a long time to build up that $50,000. So 
And in order for you in the beginning to borrow $50,000 from a life insurance company, you're probably going to have to put in more than $50,000 in the first couple of years in order for you to borrow that out. You won't see any true gains for a while. So, so you, you have to think of it this way. When you do borrow, when you, when, if you borrow money and you did lose that money, you still want to pay that back to the insurance company to rejuvenate the policy and to, to be able to reuse that money. So make sure that you're, 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 you're really careful about these investments, that you get you know, help from the person who's, who helped you with the policy. You also get help from an investment advisor, your accountant, your attorney. Like everybody's in the loop on what you're doing and you're getting advice from different places because the last thing you want to do is borrow and then just lose all that money entirely. Um, it would it would it would definitely harm your your financial situation. It's, the use of this concept is meant to amplify your financial situation. So by using it in a in a, in a, in a I guess in an inappropriate way like that or in a way that wasn't a, a, that wasn't suitable for you could do more harm than good. It's going to defeat the purpose of even implementing this whole concept and going to the patients and going through the you know the process of uh, implementing this bank on yourself process and becoming your own banker. Yes. In about three minutes we have left, why don't you kind of summarize what difference it'll make in people's financial lives to use the bank on yourself strategy instead of the traditional strategy of not going through insurance? Yeah, so, so it's a good question. And I always do this with clients, right? Like when we, go, when, we, when we put together these financial solutions and we show, you know, the cash of our life insurance policies and how they grow and everything, uh, what I always do is I always show clients a solution and I always show them what if we don't do this at all? Like, let's just, let's just skip all of this and then just keep doing everything the way we were doing, like money from your checking account, money from the stock market. Uh, so I guess, like, you know, differences are, number one, you're still taking on a lot of risk, right? Because if your money is sitting in a bank account, it's risky because you're losing to inflation. But then if your money is invested, let's just say the stock market, it's also risky too because it's, open, it's exposed to market risk. Uh, and, then let's, and then let's just say you, you do that and... Um, you know, then it goes into the question of taxes. Like you're always going to be taxed on your income, taxed on your capital gains. What if you can mitigate those taxes long term by using a vehicle that you can grow that's not going to be taxable? So that brings to the next. So the first point is risk. The second point is taxes, and the third point too is you never want to rely on banks always for finances. You want to have your own system in place where anytime you need liquidity, you can tap into your own banking system at any point and borrow against your own life policy that you own. So that way you're not having to rely on bank financing and, and, and constantly having to you know, get bank financing anytime you need to. You have your own system that you can tap into. Very good. We've learned a lot. This has been very helpful. My guest this hour has been Sari Ibrahim. He is the CEO and president of FinAssetProtection.com. Uh, as you heard, he talks about the bank on yourself strategy as a way of using your life insurance policy to kind of be your own bank for yourself and all the advantages he talked about. Uh, he has a, a podcast. You can think, you can find out more about it at thinkinglikeabank.com. Thanks so much, Sari. We learned a lot during the last hour. Thank you. Thank you, Jordan. Okay. Thank you, Sari. And we'll be back next week with another edition of the Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and the Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.